Welcome to RC Talk, the voice of Ratio Christi at Marshall University. My name is John Mays. I'm your host. I'm also the regional director for the states of West Virginia and Pennsylvania, along with being the chapter director at Marshall University. Since this is our 101st podcast, uh, I told you we celebrated number 100 last week, so obviously this is number 101. I thought we would start it off with a bang, (laughs) or maybe a little bit of controversy. Uh, Before we do that, or before I tell you what the actual topic is, I always have a point in doing what I do, and today's point is I feel like this subject is something that is vitally important and we need to address within the church and outside of the church. I think as Christians, we need to be prepared to have this conversation and not be afraid to have it, as we seem to fear having conversations about religion overall. Um, I think it shows that there is an advantage to having an apologetics background or at least an apologetics-type ministry in the church to teach this type of argument and objections because that's what I'm going to present is strictly some objections, arguments, uh, and I'm going to give you the answers. So with all that being said and no further ado, uh, let's talk about abortion. Yes, I know. Uh, My students at Marshall, they don't want to cover this topic I'm not really sure why it's a popular topic, especially in on today's news with the New York ruling on abortion, and I've never heard the topic discussed within a church, and I've been to a lot of different churches. Um, I'm not sure why we, sh- we shy away from it. I think the closest I've ever came to hearing a conversation within the church or from another Christian would be, well, if it doesn't affect me, then why should I care? Well, it does affect you because it's morality and it's about Christ and it's about Christianity. (laughs) In the big picture, it's not just about whether it affects you. There's a lot of things that don't affect you that we care about. But that's not the point. I do want to tell you up front that uh, what I'm going to share comes from notes I have from Biola University, where I received my master's in apologetic. Um... They're from Dr. Francis J. Beckwith. He is the professor of philosophy and church state studies at Baylor University currently. 
So this is nothing original that I'm coming up with, but if I were going to present a talk or an argument, or obviously a podcast, I would use his notes and others, but for our purposes, he covers what I want to cover today uh, very well. He is very well versed and has participated in numerous debates and written numerous books on such things as this. So, with abortion, you're going to find a lot of people uh, parroting like they do a lot of things when it comes to Christianity. By parroting, I mean that they're just saying something that they've heard someone else say. It's nothing that if you push a little bit that they really have an argument for or an answer for, they're just making a claim that they've heard someone else say. That's what I mean by parroting. Parroting. So let's start with some popular arguments, and that's where I want to stay is I'm going to give you the argument, and I'm going to give you his answer, uh, and preferably this will help you. That's the whole idea behind having a point, typically. Anyway, popular arguments for abortion. You're going to hear dangers of illegal abortions, the fear of what is not commonly known as the back alley butcher that if abortion is made illegal, women will have them performed by back alley butchers or else by coat hangers on themselves. I know that's a little graphic, but that's the topic. And here's some logical replies. This is what I want you to understand. There's answers to these things that are not argumentative, that are solid, and that if you if you know even a little bit about it, you'll be able to have a conversation without being ugly, for lack of better terms, uh, and prayerfully help people understand your position without causing an argument. Anyway, when someone claims that, that if abortion is made illegal, it is logical fallacy right off the bat. And we've talked about logical fallacies in the past. This particular one, I'm not sure we covered, but it's called It Begs the Question. It's a fallacy that assumes the truth of the conclusion without support. And let me read that again. This fallacy assumes the truth of the conclusion without support, meaning that people claim that if abortion is made illegal, that women will have abortions through back alley butchers or do them themselves. Okay, they've made a claim, and they're assuming the outcome to be true, and they don't have anything to back that. Let me give you another example. In his debates with Abraham Lincoln, Stephen Douglas asserted that slavery ought to remain legal in the South since it is wrong for the federal government to prevent someone from owning property. But that begs the question about the humanity of the black person. It avoids the central issue by presupposing a position without arguing for it. I know. Obviously, I didn't come up with that example. And that's the reason I told you from the beginning. This is... I'm using notes from Dr. Beckwith. Uh, going on, if the f- if the fetus is a human person, then this argument says in effect that when people harm other people, the state ought to make it safe to do so. If the fetus is a person, then the argument is irrelevant. And let me tell you one of my favorite openings for such things as this, uh, to cover this particular objection, comes from Greg Kokel of Standard Reason Ministry. 
Uh, he states that if the unborn is not a human person, then no arguments for abortion are necessary. If the unborn is a human person, then no argument is sufficient. I mean, and you could stop there. Memorize his quote, and that gives you an established position without being ugly or defensive, and I don't know why I'm saying ugly today. I don't know that I've ever used that particular term <laughs> on a podcast, but in the same sense, uh, in today's world, you it's becoming that, um, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, that it's not about whether the fetus is a human being or not. So I'll cover that in a minute. A lot of people will use statistics. Uh, it's common to hear that before Roe versus Wade, about 5,000 to 10,000 women died per year from illegal abortions. <laughs> Look some of this stuff up when people make these claims. That came from a deputy medical examiner. That's all that came from. There's no official uh, poll or official study that shows that five to 10,000 women died a year, a year from abortions. That claim comes from a deputable deputy medical examiner. I mean, examine statistical claims carefully is all I'm saying. Um, you know, if something sounds too good to be true or a good rule of thumb when it comes to statistics, chances are it's probably not true. Uh, if someone claims that a percentage increase is very large, statistically speaking, but does not give the actual numbers, the person is probably trying to hide something. I mean, you know, if you interview, uh, I don't know, two people, and one of them changed their mind, then 50% have changed their mind, regardless of the subject. It doesn't matter how many that you just ask two different people. And that's the thing with statistics. You see a lot of these polls on television uh, about different subjects, and you see the statistics that say, well, this increased or decreased by 75%. Well, that's a huge percentage for an increase or decrease. You need to look into the background of how many people were surveyed. I mean, because most of the time, well, I've never been surveyed. <laughs> Maybe there's a reason behind that. I don't know. Another argument comes from economic inequity. If abortion is illegal, only the rich will be able to afford it. Seriously? If the unborn are human persons, it makes no sense. The vices of the wealthy do not become virtues of the poor just because they are denied them. Fairness only applies to benefits, that which does not harm another. Number three is an argument from population control, poverty, and financial burden. Uh, the population control argument is not really a pro-choice argument since there's no choice involved. It also begs the question, if the fetus is a person, then why not kill older people? And I, I use this one quite often. Why not kill older people? They've had the chance to live. Oh, well, that's terrible. Well, exactly. That's why we need to be able to address this particular issue. It's vitally important, as I said, and we need to talk about it. As Christians, we need to take a stand. 
Even if abortion didn't hold down the population, it does not follow that abortion is the way to achieve uh, to achieve it. There are other means. The myth of the harmfulness of population increase is economists argue that population growth actually benefits the country the country's growth. I mean, think about it. Once you turn eighteen, then you're supposedly working and providing uh, taxes. You provide yourself an income, but you're providing a benefit to the economy and to the government, to the country. And then when you retire, you're no longer a benefit. <laughs> These are some things that apologetics will do to help you. Yes, you have to think about it. But, oh, oh my goodness, I mean, such an important issue next to salvation. Why would you not think about it? We're talking about a human life. Um, the argument from an unwanted child or child abuse. Every child is wanted was the slogan. Every child a wanted child, sorry. This does not justify abortion. Uh, it as well begs the question. You see what I'm saying here? You see where I'm going here? Most of these things, people are being parent parents. I'm not saying parents, I'm saying parrots like the bird. Uh, They've heard it, they want to repeat it, but they have nothing to back it. If the unborn is a person, then killing it is abuse. The increased number of abortions has not led to less child abuse. So the argument fails. Evaluating children's worth on the basis of being wanted by parents is dangerous. I mean, you're putting the parents in control and giving them an incredible position of power. I mean, what if I wanted to kill my children at this point? I know. They're not in the womb. Whatever. Uh, The attitude implies superiority, like men over women. It treats children as objects. Empirically, 90% of all battered children are from wanted pregnancies. There's your percentage. Check it out. It's 90%. I just told you to be aware or be weary of large percentages. So verify that. Call me on it, if I'm not correct, or Dr. Beckwith, one or the other. Um... You could also tell them that without abortion, women cannot be equal to men. Yet that implies that girls are naturally inferior to boys unless they have surgery. All right. So now let's move on to a philosophical argument, which brings in the apologetic side of it. Scientifically, there is no doubt that an individual human life begins at conception. And that's what I was going to talk about earlier, and I didn't want to get ahead of myself. That used to be the argument. When did the fetus become a human life? But, and there's still a dispute over when life becomes valuable. I don't understand that. I think any life is valuable. A popular uh, woman that presented what they call the personhood argument Marianne Warren states the fetus is a human being genetically but not morally. Being a person is not the same as being a human being. 
and I'm taking a pause here for you, for you to kind of think about what I'm saying. This lady suggests five criteria to determine if the human is a person. If someone has all five, the human is clearly a person. If he or she meets two or three, they may be a person. But if the human meets only one, then they're probably not a person. And here's the five criteria. Consciousness, reasoning, self-motivated activity, a capacity to communicate, and a presence of concepts and self-awareness. Self-concepts and self-awareness. Now, just, (laughs) again, think about what's being claimed here. She claims that a a fetus is a human being genetically, but not morally. And there's where we're dropping the ball. We have moral values and, uh, well, we have moral values. And being a person is not the same as being a human being. And then she lists the five criteria. Peter Singer, the newborn lack, this is a quote from Peter Singer, the newborn lacks these except perhaps consciousness. Yet an adult meets more of these criteria. So a chimpanzee has more rights than the newborn, according to him, Peter Singer. Warren states that until 18 months old, the baby is not a person seriously all right here's just some replies for that one um this confuses being a person with a functioning as a person this confuses being a person with functioning as a person these are not sufficient i'm sorry these are sufficient criteria for being a person but they are not necessary and here we go not thinking, but what about the person that is in a comatose state? You know, the patient that's in comatose state. There may be no functions, but the person is still a person. He once acted as a person, yet now is comatose. But he will function again as a person. Okay. Suppose the patient is in a persistent vegetative state. We will debate to withdraw the respirator. Yet, if there's 98% chance of the patient coming out of the coma, then there is no debate. These things don't make any sense, I'm telling you. If you just take the time to think about it, if you cared enough, if you actually, I'm going off on a tangent, if love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loved your neighbor as yourself, you would know answers to these type things, and you would not be afraid. You would stand up, and you would make these claims and defend an unborn child. If there is a 98% chance of the patient coming out of the coma, then there's no debate. What is doing the work here is the patient patient's future. Well, guess what? The fetus also has a future, just like ours. Oh. I'm a little bit more passionate about this than I typically let on, but in the same sense, I do listen and read and study the the arguments and objections to this particular, um, I guess, problem that we face in the world, 
the secular world that we expect to live as Christians, and they're not going to live that way. We have to take a stand. We have to be relevant. Going in, this, and I'm, I'm going off, like I said, on a tangent. This past Sunday, I attended a church, and I heard the same sermon that I've heard since I was a child. And here's an overview of it. Well, most millennials, 18 to 30-year-olds, give or take, don't think it's right to go out and evangelize or share their faith based on statistics. The majority of them, about 50%, how's that? We'll say at least half of them. They don't think that's okay because they're pushing their beliefs on somebody else. Okay, so then the pastor went on to say, we need to make disciples. Well, yeah, and even quoted the scripture said, make disciples. And then he went on and proceeded with the sermon at hand. How are we making disciples? I ask everybody that. How are you making disciples? What is your church doing to make disciples? Can you have the abortion conversation? Can you have the conversation of why bad things happen to good people or the problem of evil? Can you have the conversation concerning the resurrection and why you believe it's true? If not, where are you making a disciple at? Somebody laughed at me on Facebook the other day about because I told them that most people don't know what the gospel is, and they don't, and they found that amusing. Well, I tell you what, you go to your church, ask yourself first, and then you go and ask your, ch- your brothers and sisters, what is the gospel? It's in the book, I promise. All right, I'm, 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 I'm going to close, but I'm going to give you what once upon a time, and I don't know if it still stands, but it was Bill Clinton's theological argument for abortion. It was called the argument from breath. Like Adam, who became a living being when God breathed into him, birth is the point at which the child becomes a living being. Now, this man was our president. That is, at birth, the baby breathes oxygen, though, through its lungs. And this is similar to the New York law nowadays. So, anyway, here's your replies. This is not true. How's that for a reply? The fetus does breathe, not through their lungs from conception, but they are breathing. There is no analogy between the creation of Adam and the birth of a child. That's, I, I have no idea what that even has to do with it. Uh, real quick, two, two common ones, but uh, severe re- retardation. What about those who are born yet are severely retarded? We would not kill them. And this conclusion gets back to the central issue of the personhood of the fetus. Think about it. Uh, or what about rape and incest? Okay, what if there were no such cases? If the answer that person still favors is abortion, then ask why the person even brought it up. See what I said there? There's no cases of rape or incest. And the person still says, well, a woman still should have the right to kill her child. <laughs> they shouldn't have even brought it up. It's irrelevant to the person's belief. We have to focus on the personhood of the fetus. You may say, think I say that funny, but regardless, 
Anyway, there are some common arguments, some given answers. Uh, I try to make things as easy as possible. I know that some of my peers think that I make them too simple, but if you have a self-defeating statement, the argument's over. If you have a logical fallacy, the argument's over. If you have somebody parroting, parroting, uh, and you ask them a question and they can't support it, the argument's over. Stop being afraid. This issue concerning abortion is one of the most important issues facing the church today, and churches are afraid to tell their members how and what to say. It's in the book. How's that for a welcome to number 101 in RC Talk Podcasts? Questions or comments, email me at johnmays at ratiochristi.org. Or if you'd like to be a part of our financial support team, we greatly need it and greatly would appreciate it, would greatly appreciate it. In fact, if you uh, become a supporter and let me know somehow, email me or whatever because of the podcast or blogs, I will send you a free t-shirt. Anyway, I know that means a lot to you, doesn't it? Uh, to become a supporter, you can go to johnmays.reshochristi.org and click donate. And until next time, once again, you have been thunderstruck.